It's time to talk about all things mental health. This is Get Mental with Cecile Aarons and T. Smith. As a seasoned licensed therapist, Cecile is the owner of Transcend Therapy and is here to inform, guide, and reconnect you on the big and small everyday happenings that affect our mental and emotional well-being. Cecile and T. Smith are passionate about making a lasting and positive impact on people, connecting them to their own wisdom and strength while having a little fun along the way. Get ready to challenge the power of your human spirit. It's time for Get Mental with Cecile Aarons and T. Smith. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Get Mental Podcast. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. We have a very exciting show today, and I can't wait for us to uh, get into the topic. How are you doing, T? I'm feeling amazing. What's up, Get Mental (laughs) family? Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm excited. Such an amazing show today, guys. We have a special guest today, and we're ready to share them with you guys today. Let's rock and roll. Good morning. Good morning. So our guest today, without further ado, is Dr. Brent Lacey. He's a gastroenterologist, a Navy veteran who is passionate about helping physicians succeed with business and personal finances. As a physician, he understands how overwhelming it can be to step out of clinical training and into a career. And he has seen firsthand the lack of education on how to run a practice and manage finances. And boy, can I relate to that on a personal level because therapists don't get that training either. He has coached hundreds of families to succeed in eliminating debt, and he has spoken to physician groups around the country on topics related to business and personal finance. He also founded the Scope of Practice website and podcast, and his ultimate goal is to help physicians learn how to manage their businesses successfully and master their personal finances. Welcome, Dr. Lacey. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, thanks. That's maybe the most enthusiastic introduction I may have, maybe I've ever had, so <laughs> thank you so much. Well, you don't know what you're in for because you are with two Energizer buddies. <laughs> oh, let's, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, rock, let's rock and roll. <laughs> Nothing out last, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So the topic for today, sorry guys, I forgot to mention that, is on financial infidelity. Um, And this was actually suggested by Dr. Lacey himself, which I think is really fascinating because you are not a mental health professional, and yet you have a lot of uh, specialized knowledge, if I may say that, on this issue. Why don't we just start there? What got you interested in this arena and in this particular subject? Well, I mean, if you mean money in general, this is something that I've, I've kind of been into ever since I was a kid. I mean, I was blessed to have you know, parents that really stressed the importance of good financial education. So when I got to college, you know, just seeing how many of my friends didn't know, didn't have basic concepts like, you know, don't spend more money than you actually have and, you know, (laughs) how to, how to save some money and how to, you know, you know, how to make more money and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I kind of took that as like, well, you know, not everybody gets that kind of training. And so then you go through college and med school and everything's kind of the great equalizer. But 
people coming out of med school and residency were no better is what I was finding. It was, it's been amazing. And so, you know, the, the main reason that I started the scope of practice was because when I observed that all these physicians are coming out of training and they're great at being doctors, right? And they're just lousy at everything that has to do with running a small business or managing their own personal finances. And so that's my goal is to try to help people, you know, get some of those, those tools, that knowledge, those resources to get to where they can manage their business more successfully and master their personal finances. Wow. And so um, what kinds of, uh, of um, feedback or demand have you gotten since you started this well, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of like being a doctor, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll always have a job, right? Cause people are just always going to be sick. And I think it's probably generally true that people are always just going to be lousy with money. I mean, the, <laughs> that's sad. And, and, you know, most of the people that I work with now are, are, are physicians and healthcare professionals, just cause that's, you know, what I do most of, but you know, I, I got started on all this stuff actually through my church. I started a financial discipleship ministry at my church. And so the thing that's been interesting, I think over the last, you know, five or six years is seeing you know people in the you know in the lower socioeconomic status versus folks and you know that are making you know six figures the only thing that i think that's different about the stuff that that we as physicians do bad with money is we do the same kinds of dumb stuff just with more zeros on the end of it you just you're just wasting more money than- yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i mean there's 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 nothing there's nothing fancy or nothing nothing sophisticated about what any of us do or don't do. I mean, it's either you make smart choices or you don't. And the truth is everybody makes the same five or six lousy choices. I mean, it's, you know, not planning for the future, not knowing where your money's going, spending yes. more than you're spending more than you're actually bringing in, failing Absolutely. to save for, you know, big purchases, buying stuff on credit, you know, living with debt. I mean, those are things that we do on, on various levels. Oh, and, you true. know, so maybe a physician's going to have a couple of, you know, ridiculous car leases on a Beamer and a Tesla, but someone else, maybe they're going to payday loans or maybe they're, you know, doing, you know, they're, they're buying a house they can't afford. I mean, we, we all do the same kinds of, of silly stuff with money and some, you know, it's just, you know, different flavors of the same thing. Yeah. So true. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> the yes. Other- yes. Were you going to say something too? Sorry. Yes, Dr. Lee. So I have a question and, um, you know, me and Cecile, we actually brought this question up in relationships, right? Where I like to say, like, (laughs) if there's no finance, there's no romance, right? So Dr. (laughs) Lacey, my question is, in your experience, you know, what really put couples at risk, like uh, financial infidelity, like what will put a couple at risk of bad, poor money management? Yeah, so I think it's I think it's a, a, a threefold problem. One is lack of knowledge, the second is lack of funds, and the third is lack of communication. And mm. it's it's just like if you think of it like a, a three-legged stool, right? If I come along and I saw one of those legs off and the other two legs are still standing, the stool's gonna topple over, right? Mm-hmm. And so you gotta have all three things or it doesn't work. And so let's let's take those one at a time. So first yeah. is lack of knowledge. And this is this is a fortunately a problem that everybody can solve and and ultimately this is where it kind of comes down to individual decision making and you know couple interdynamics so if if you don't know how to do a budget there are you know just google how to budget and you're <laughs> going to find 65 million hits right there are software programs and apps and you know good old fashioned notebook paper it's really not that hard to learn how to do this stuff the information is out there 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's the one good thing about it is that if you don't know what to do, I mean, just walk up to Barnes and Noble and drop $15 on a book about money and you can figure this stuff out. But it comes down to individual decision making and say, and just deciding that this is going to be important enough that mm-hmm. I'm going to pay attention and make it a priority for our family. So that's, that's thing number one um, is lack of knowledge. The second is lack of funds um, or lack of money. And really what I mean by this is not that you're not making enough money is that you are overspending your, your income level. And so, you know, living when I beyond was, your means, exactly living beyond your means. And so, you know, when I was a college student, I got a job as a file clerk um, 20 hours a week so that I could, you know, make some extra money to, you know, to make ends meet. And, you know, not all my friends did that, but, you know, if you look at stuff and people freak out about that, they're like, well, but uh, what about my college experience? Well, first of all, you're not there to have an experience. You're there to get a degree and find some useful information to actually, you know, go out and do that is the experience. society, <laughs> right? But studies have shown that, fo- that uh, people who work, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week graduate with higher GPAs than people who don't because it forces you to learn good time management skills. I mean, that's statistically proven. Wow, that's fascinating. Thank you for that info. Yeah, it's 100% true. And I did the same thing when I was in med school. I mean, I was a teaching assistant for a couple of years in med school and I did tutoring on the side to to make uh, some extra money. And I just decided that I wasn't going to spend money I didn't have. So if I got to the end of the month, you know, it's five days till the end of the month and I'm down to enough food to uh, enough money to buy food. Uh, You know, if I got an invitation from a friend to go out to eat or something, I'd be like, sorry, uh, I'll hit you up next Tuesday or something. But (laughs) As, as for the rest of the month, I can't help you. Dr. Lacey, how much did modeling play into that? Was that like something that was modeled to you by like your parents or family? Oh, I thought you were asking about, uh, have I been modeling? I know it's, it, it looks like I've been a model, right? So, uh, so. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think that was a, a huge thing for me actually. So, and you know, more is caught than taught. So, you know, kids learn their behaviors from their parents, not from what they, they say so much as what they do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my parents, I was very blessed that I had parents that were smart with money and that made it a priority to teach us to be smart with money. And thank goodness I listened because um, mm-hmm. it was invaluable. So I think that's been, I think that's been huge. So I learned how to be frugal. I learned how to budget. I learned how to, you know, make strategic decisions to set yourself up for success long-term. And that was definitely modeled uh, by my parents. Um, and so the third thing is, you know, beyond lack of funds is lack of communication. And this is the one that really, I think, is probably the biggest one um, is the lack of communication. And, you know, some of the problems that I find is that either people are, uh, you know, sometimes it comes from modeling where, you know, maybe one of the one of the members of the, of the relationship doesn't have uh, you know, didn't have a background where they talked about money or maybe worse, maybe money was a taboo subject. And anytime money would come up, people would say, oh, we don't talk about that in polite mm-hmm. society. That's not something mm-hmm. we discuss, you know, with other people. And, and so it was considered the sort of taboo subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, some people are, are, are afraid or ashamed of what their spouse might think of them if they suggest, well, I want to do this with our money. I want to do that with our money. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that comes down to the lack of knowledge. And a lot of it comes down to just fear or guilt or shame. And if, you know, if you don't talk about money, it's going to be a problem. Money fights and money problems are the number one cause of divorce in North America. It is not close. 
And yeah. so, you know, this is what I always tell my, my students and my residents, you know, if you're going to get married, you better agree on some key foundational principles. And if you and your spouse don't agree about money, yep. you will fail. Statistically yep. speaking, that is true. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason for that is that Absolutely. If, when you agree about money, you have to therefore agree about everything that money is used for. And yep. so you agree on what you're going to, where, where you're going to send your kids to school, where you're going to live, who's going to work and who's not, what are you going to save for? How fast are you going to pay down debt? All that stuff has to be agreed on if you agree about subjects related to money. Mm-hmm. Oh, I cannot stress that enough. Well said. And I see that a lot, you know, <clears throat> as a therapist, when people have uh, money issues and issues around parenting values, money and children, those are the top two um, problems that people really have a hard time navigating and it can be a make or break situation for many couples. So. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting down and just coaching a, you know, a couple and they're, they're coming to me because they're, you know, they're in dire financial straits and trying to figure out how to climb out of this uh, hole of debt that they've dug themselves into and then had them come back to me, you know, months later and say, you know what, that conversation about budgeting saved our marriage. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, hang on a second. I'm not a couples counselor. So what the <laughs> heck are you talking about? You know? And they'll say, no, you don't. it's like, like, you don't understand. Like we had to sit down and, and hash out all these issues to figure out what we're going to put in our budget. And it forced us to have tough conversations about things that we had been avoiding. And now we just talk about everything and it's great. Right. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Because our relationship with our personal relationship with money, you know, affects how you move in your romantic relationship. So there's a strong uh, correlation there. But before we get ahead of ourselves, can you please define what financial infidelity is? Sure. Yeah. So financial infidelity is um, a, a state where your, um, your spouse or the person in your relationship has violated your trust in a matter of, uh, of finance. And so that's a very broad way of saying mm-hmm. anything that any way that you feel like your expectations were one thing with related to money and your spouse went and did something else. And so that can be something very, very simple, like you know, they, they bought something that was not in the budget and just didn't tell you about it. It can be something very small or it can be something really big. Like they have a gambling addiction and they go and do online poker in the behind, you know, behind your you know, back, behind your yeah. back and run up a big gambling debt, or they go open up a bunch of credit cards in your name and, you know, just go shopping like crazy and then they'll tell you about it. So it can run a pretty wide gamut. So me sneaking in a shoe purchase without my husband's knowledge or approval makes me guilty of financial infidelity. <laughs> well, and I, it, I think it, we're all guilty then to some extent. <laughs> well, so it depends on, it depends on how you define uh, on how you define behind your back. So for example, like one of the things that I often will recommend to couples is have a, have a line item in your budget where each person has a designated amount of money every month that they can spend whatever they want on. Yeah. And it's, it's just, you know, it's Cecile's fun money. It's T's fun money or whatever. And, and then you don't have to, and then you don't, you don't have to tell them why, what you're doing with it or why, and you don't have to justify what you're buying and why. And that is really, really freeing because if Mm -hmm. you agree on everything else in the budget and then you have some freedom to say, okay, well, I have this, whatever, $30 a month or 50 or a hundred or whatever, 
then if one person wants to save up for six months and go buy some, you know, buy some new, I don't know, remote control car or something like that, or if the <laughs> other person wants to blow it all, you know, every month, you know, just buying lunch for themselves every day or going to get, you know, coffee with friends or whatever, yeah. you can do that. And it, it actually kind of has the opposite effect of, of creating fights. It actually creates opportunities for fun conversations because instead of saying, you know, oh yeah, I bought this sweater. What do you mean you bought this sweater? And so, you know, instead of having that conversation, it's, Hey, I bought this sweater with my fun money. The, the person, on, the person on the other end is like, okay, well, I know you spent that money and we had already agreed that was okay. And then I'm not worried about it. And then I can say, Oh my gosh, that is super cute on you. How, how in the world did you find that? That's great. Where'd you get it? Oh, we should get more stuff like that for you. Right. It's, it's a much, much better conversation. Yeah. It changes the, the energy, you know, and the, 100%. yeah, the attitude because the, you've agreed to it. There's account, personal accountability, there's collaboration. So I can definitely see why that would work. I'm going to take some of those tips from you, doc. And, uh, bake it into some of my set in some of my sessions so dr lace i have a question as well um as i sit here and listen to the amazing value that you have my question is how does financial infidelity you know how does it affect different cultures right um ethnic groups right we see that um statistically a lot of races are doing better than other races financially is that a culture problem or is it just a mankind problem i think it's really more of a mankind problem it's very it's it's a very interesting question um and i think you're going to find some differences in in culture where if you know so to take for example if you have one cultural you know uh norm that is that one member of the family say the man is you know responsible for everything and sort of you know sort of is a patriarchal system and the you know the the woman in the relationship doesn't have any say and that's the norm then it may not be it may not be construed as financial infidelity by one or more of the partners just because it's just in keeping with you know culture. with the with the standard with the culture but i would say that in general in most you know in in the counseling sessions and the coaching sessions that i have done it has been fairly race neutral. And, and I think the reason for that is that whether it's big or small, financial infidelity feels like a betrayal. And in many, many cases, I think it is comparable to finding out that your spouse had an affair. Um, and so, and there's, there's gradations of that, of course. So, you know, if I, if someone goes out and buys, you know, let's say something small, like a, you know, a, a new pair of shoes or something like that, that might be the, you know, the, uh, equivalent of, you know, someone who's kind of leering at another person, you know, sexually or something and, but not actually acting on it. Right. Versus, you know, you have someone who's having like, who set up an apartment for a mistress or something might be the equivalent of someone who goes and racks up a huge amount of gambling debt. Either way, it is a huge breach of trust because yeah. you have placed your trust in this person that said, okay, we're partners in this. Okay. We're sharing our finances. We're sharing our, our lives together, but you went off and did this thing that is completely counter to all the stuff that we had previously talked about and agreed upon. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. didn't tell me about it. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's mistrust, there's betrayal, and it feels in many ways like, like someone's having an affair. And that's why mm -hmm. we term it mm -hmm. financial infidelity, infidelity because it really does take on that big of, of a role in someone's life. And it's incredibly destructive mm -hmm. to the trust, uh, that, you know, that your spouse is placed in you and it can be really detrimental to the, to the victim's mental health. Right. Right. And I can, I, again, I support that, you know, completely because that's what I see in my office, in my practice.
Um, what about for you, T? Because I know you do a lot of financial coaching. Um, what's what's your take on on that as far as what Dr. Lacey said? Yes, I love the science um, behind what Dr. Lacey is saying. Um, a lot of times I speak from the spiritual, and, and that's some questions I'm going to ask on um, today's episode as well, Dr. Lacey. But I appreciate the the mindset behind why people do what they do, you know, and the causes. So I got those three notes, lack of knowledge, a lack of funds, and a lack of communication, you know. And I believe as well that plays a major role in my field because knowledge, you know, with action really takes your life to the next level. So not just getting the knowledge, but actually applying it. You know, guys, so if you're listening in, you can take a, uh, in a mass amount of notes, but if you don't apply it, nothing changes if nothing changes. <laughs> and then the lack of funds, you know, as well, because Dr. Lacey, I teach people how to, you know, start businesses and invest in other things. So having a lack of funds definitely plays a role in, in this topic that we're speaking about. And then the communication. If we can't talk about it, we can't converse about it, then there's no way to, to map out a path to success. So it's kind of like a one-man show. So it takes two to tango. So these three keys that you laid down today, it's really about to change my life. <laughs> so <laughs> I just thank you for that, Dr. Lacey. And I'm, I'm all ears this morning. And man, we just have some great questions this afternoon to really get your input on, you know, really what's causing the financial infidelity. So thank you so much, Dr. Lacey. Yeah, well, I think you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, knowledge without action can't take you to the next level. You're 100% right. I mean, that's that's tweetable right there. So, <laughs> so if you're Tweet listening- worthy. If you're listening to that T at T Smith or whatever, but, um, but yeah, that's hundred percent true. I mean, you can, know, you can know this stuff and not apply it. I mean, if you have a library full of a thousand books and you've read them all and done nothing about it, you haven't really accomplished very much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you're stuck, if you don't know how to act, that's probably, what are some of the, the barriers to action in your, in your uh, experience, Dr. Lacey, when it comes to this uh, subject? Well, I think lack of knowledge is a big one is, you know, people just don't know where to start. I mean, because when you start saying, I need to fix my financial life, that's like saying I, I need to build a castle, right? You know, yeah. where do you where do you start with something like that? It's it's right. a huge project. So I think that's a big one. I think guilt and shame are 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 the other really big one that I see is that very often when folks are coming to me, I mean, you know, it's uh, you know they say it's like it's not healthy people who need a doctor, it's sick people, right? So the people who need a financial coach most commonly are folks that have gotten themselves into a hole, and a lot of times there's a lot of guilt and shame that's yeah. associated with that. They've They've made poor choices. They're they're not as far along on their retirement savings as they want to be. They they're not able to pay for their kids' college, and they feel ashamed about that. And so, you know, getting past the emotional, um, piece. you know, yeah. piece of it is is a really big part of it, I think. And then just you know, giving them the knowledge and equipment, and then encouragement to do it, I think is gonna is really where I come in. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Lacey, my next question is: in your personal experience. How has mentorship played in your life regarding finances? Is there individuals that you look up to that you strive to be like or some people that you really take a, a, an immense amount of advice from when it, regarding finances? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, my parents are definitely the, the, the biggest uh, mentors in my life with regard to finances just because, you know, I grew up with this stuff and I started learning it from an early age. Um, but I would say that as a, I would say that in general, yes, um, other people who's, yeah, I would call mentors, you know, behaviors that I've tried to emulate and they've, they've, what I've needed from mentors has changed over the years, right? So when you're first starting out with this stuff, you need someone who can just kind of help teach you the basics, right? So it's how to budget, how to spend money wisely, how to save money wisely, how to give money wisely. And then as you get farther along, it's, 
you know, well, how do I take advantage of tax savings? And, you know, mm -hmm. how do I, how do I save for a big purchase like a home and what's a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA and how do I know which one to invest in? You start getting gradually more and more sophisticated over time mm -hmm. and your mentorship needs, you know, change. And so you find different people at different places, but a hundred percent, I mean, that, that's one of the things that I think, I think a lot of times will separate people who succeed from those who don't is people who know what their limitations are, know when to go seek help and then find those people to go seek help from. Absolutely. Ah, I'm barely speechless by the way, but this is really, <laughs> I'm speechless for a good reason because you're, you know, you're speaking our language and you're also really hitting a lot of the key points, you know, in that we, you have to know your limits and you have to be able to, you have to be teachable. You have to be, have the humility to say, I need support, you know, and I need to get the knowledge that I need to take myself to the next level, right? And you guys, if you're listening, like you don't have to do this alone. If you're feeling overwhelmed, um, if you can relate to what Dr. Brent is describing, just, you know, just start small. Just, you know, start somewhere. Ask your friend who, who you believe is making good money choices, you know, for a resource or just ask them how they did it. And most people will tell you, will share stuff with you. Isn't that true? Yeah, I think that's 100% true. And, you know, that question, how did you do it? That's That question underscores what I think is a really important model for, um, for self-growth and for success is is to ask other people who are winning at something that you want to be successful at how mm -hmm. did you do it so you know when i you know when i want to learn how do i be a better father how am i what what does it take to be a better husband mm -hmm. i want to go find someone who's been married for 45 years and go all right you obviously know something about this what's your secret how can yes. i have a 45 year long marriage you know if i've got a guy who's got three kids that are well put together I'll be like, okay, tell me, let, let me get my notepad out and just you start talking. All right. How, what did it take? What were some of the things that you learned? What did you, who did you learn from? What did you read? What did you, you know, what was your, what was your process? You know, and the more people you ask about that. And like you said, people are, people are happy to talk to you. I mean, you think about the number of people that you have in your phone. I mean, how many of them could you reasonably call up and just go, Hey, listen, I'm starting on this new business venture and I want, mm -hmm. want to learn how to be better at it. You know, can you help me? And that how many of them wouldn't take you to coffee and be like, yeah, let me, let me help you out. You betcha. You, yeah. you know why? And you know why? Because people did that for them. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yes. and that's that if they like you and they're, you know, friends with you, they want to help you. And yes. there's, there's, there's people out there that want to help for sure. Yes. Use your network, you know? Um, so, uh, Dr. Lacey, we talked, you talked about this thing being, um, um, race neutral. I'm wondering, it, have you noticed if it's also class neutral, you know, high socioeconomic status versus low socioeconomic status? Because we mm -hmm. have a theory that really the problem is financial education and financial literacy, not so much a lack of opportunities, especially living in a country like the United States. We have mm -hmm. plenty of opportunities. That's, that's the position T and I, you know, espouse. And it's the problem really is about financial education or a lack of financial education yeah so it's it's a great question and that is that is both the good and the bad of this is that it is largely class neutral race neutral neutral gender neutral sexual orientation neutral i mean it's i mean like i said before i mean you know i've coached hundreds of couples i mean people like you know 75 year old ladies who are widows and living on social security they are literally living on 1335 dollars a month right in in states like california 
and all the way up to docs that are making, you know, who are dual income households making $400,000 a year. And everybody makes the same five or six dumb mistakes with money. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It has been amazing to me to see that it is not limited to one class, one race, one gender. It is absolutely pervasive. And the lack of knowledge is a big, is a big thing. And like I said, ultimately, ultimately, fortunately, and unfortunately, it comes down to individual decision-making. I mean, yeah. the information's out there, the opportunities are out there. And it, it, at some point, it's going to require an act of will. Now, someone who, like me, fortunately, who is blessed to have parents who taught me this stuff when I was a kid, you know, I, I feel a very strong burden to then take that and try to teach it to as many people as I possibly can who didn't have those opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but at some point, it's going to just take an act of will of someone who is in a bad situation saying, okay, look, this is bad. I need to fix it. Let me see if I can figure out how to fix it. And the good news is that there are you know, opportunities out there, but it comes down to not, and one of the things that I think is a mistake that people make is thinking that it's, it's related to an absolute dollar figure and it's not. It's you need to think of it more in terms of proportions or percentages. So right. if you're making so if so the median income in America is fifty-two thousand dollars per family per year. That's median is it household. Really? Wow. That is me that is median household income in America is fifty-two thousand dollars a year. Not average, mind you. So it's not skewing with like, you know, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. That's median. And that's been stable for a very long time. What's um, average? I'm just curious. Average isn't too far off. It's a little higher because you get a you get a skewed average from, you know, billionaires that factor in there. But if you factor in, if you just go with median, it's about $52,000 a year. Wow. But when, you know, if you've got someone who's, you know, freshly out of college or someone who is, you know, working a minimum wage job or something, and they're basically making 20 grand a year, Okay they have to make exactly the same decisions that somebody making $400,000 a year is making. And those Great decisions point. are, and those decisions are, I, I need to spend less money than I'm making and I need to save money for the future. I need to continue to work so that I continue to bring in money. Um, and I need to find ways to be generous with my, with my money. Those are the big decisions that everybody has to make. And those decisions are, they look different when you're making 20 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Believe me, because I had a lot of years where I was making 20 grand a year or less. So, <laughs> I mean, when I, I remember those lot, days too. <laughs> a lot. Okay. So, um, so believe me, I understand that. Um, but unfortunately it doesn't change. It doesn't change the, you know, the situation. I mean, I, I like to say nobody gets a pass on math. I mean, you know, if you make $20,000 a year, that's, that, that makes my heart break for you. And my, my goal is to help people get, you know, you know, get on better footing, make some decisions that lead to long-term career success so that, you know, five years from now, they're making $50,000 a year and 10 years from now, they're making a hundred thousand dollars a year from now. Right. I want to help them make those decisions to get there a hundred percent. But, but the decisions are the same. And so if you're making $20,000 a year, your choices are going to be somewhat more limited than someone who's making a hundred thousand dollars a year. But the questions you have to ask yourself and the decisions you have to make are exactly Exactly the same. Yeah. Absolutely. So I have a question, Dr. Lacey. I was all sitting back getting that value. Like my notebook is getting built up today, right? (laughs) (laughs) So Dr. Lacey, my question next is the process, right? What are some things that you recommend people do daily? Because it's, you don't choose your future. You choose your habits and your habits choose your future. Right? Amen. Drop the mic. What are some, <laughs> what are some habits? Uh, how did we cultivate better money habits on a daily basis? What do people do and the choices they need to make on a daily basis to really get in that financial freedom space? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the number one thing that you got to make on a daily basis is to spend less money. 
um, is to say no. You know, remember like, uh, you remember Dare back in the 1990s? Like, just, just say no. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it, it is hard, but here's the thing the, you know, the, the value that, or, you know, the people who succeed over time are, are not the ones that have the high, the most successful like investing strategies and the greatest tax advantage, this and that, and who can go through the most government loopholes and that sort of thing. It's the people who are disciplined and consistently spent less than they made and save for the future. So my, my grandparents, okay. So yeah, my grandmother was a school teacher, like an elementary ed teacher for 40 years. And my grandfather worked for the postal service and they retired as multimillionaires, right? Wow. As an elementary ed teacher. And here's something, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to blow your minds here for a second. Okay. So there was a study done about three years ago called the national study of millionaires. And in the National Study of Millionaires, what they did is they took, uh, they did a survey of over 10,000 American millionaires and asked them like a couple, like a hundred questions about, you know, what are your habits? What did you do? Like, what was your success story? Okay. Here's something very interesting. Okay. Top five jobs occupied by America's millionaires. Okay. Take a guess. What do you think would be in the top five? Engineers. Okay, engineers were number one. All right, that makes sense, right? Because engineers. My husband's they, an engineer. That's why I right. know because they're very organized with these they're things. They're very organized. They're very analytical. Okay, number two is accountant, and that makes sense, right? So they're good with money. They're smart with financial figures. Okay, doctors did not make the top five. I'm not Lawyer, surprised. Lawyers did not make the top five. You want to know what number three was? Teachers. Number, number three was school teachers. Wow. Number three is school teachers. The third most common job occupied by an American millionaire is school teachers. Some of the most underpaid, undervalued people in our workforce. And they are the ones that are getting to millionaire status better than doctors are who are making a lot more money. So it can't only be a matter of making more money. And so T to your original question, it's about saying to yourself, okay, you know what? I'm going to get coffee from the break room at work instead of going to Starbucks every day. And that's going to save me $5 times, you know, 25 days a month times, you know, 12 months a year times 30 years. Well, that adds up, you know, it's going to be, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to lease a car because I know that's the most expensive way to own a vehicle. Okay. I'm going to pay cash for cars and I'm going to drive beat up junk for a while till I can afford something better. It's I'm going to choose to live in a house that is smaller than the bank wants to loan me money for. Because I know that if I, if I overextend myself, I can't save for the future. It's I'm going to you know, teach my kids to be smart about money so that they will grow up and not live in my basement, right? <laughs> so it's, it, it's, making all those, it's making all those smart decisions every single day. And the biggest thing ultimately comes down to I need to spend less stuff. I need to not buy stuff I can't afford. And I don't really the simplest, need. The simplest way to do that I've found is to is to take three do it just do an experiment for three months just resolve that you're not going to buy anything on a credit card for three months okay just every week go to the atm at your bank take out however much cash you need for the week and only buy the stuff with cash you feel differently about purchases when you have to spend with cash versus when you spend on a credit card it will change your spending habits I just wrote that down as uh, just before you said that. I, I'm so glad you brought that up. And that's actually a strategy that a lot of, um, you know, 12-step groups. So, for example, there's a 12-step group if you have a problem with overspending called Debtors Anonymous. And that's one of the things that they will suggest is that make a connection with money. Because when you are using credit cards and paying stuff online, you know, there's a disconnection. 
that's happening there. You're not really feeling kind of the pain <laughs> or, and you're not getting the same awareness when you're spending the cash, the cash that you've committed to you know, spending for that month. And as you're seeing every dollar, every coin go out of your hands, there's a different um, process that happens to us internally. You know, it creates 100%. kind of a more realistic uh, process for us. Whereas buying by credit card, I mean, we've all been there, I think, where you just swipe, swipe, swipe. And the next thing you know, you're like, how the heck did I have that, that, that kind of bill this month? You know, so thank you for bringing that up. And the other thing too is, yeah, conscious spending. I love what Dr. Lacey is saying, like pause for a second. Before you guys purchase something, just pause and ask yourself, what is my intention? And T and I talked about this in another show. What is my intention for buying this particular thing, right? Because a lot of times there's a mental health and emotional component to what we're reaching for, to our spending habits. A lot of times we're using things to, you know, uh, fill emotional gaps and voids in our lives. Yeah. One of the, one of the easiest ways to avoid unnecessary spending is just to say, okay, is I just call, I just say, sleep on it. Okay. Just don't buy it, sleep on it. And if you wake up the next morning and you're like, man, I'm still, I'm still going home for that thing. Then, okay. Then you know that it actually something matters to you. But if you go home, you take a cold shower, you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning, you're like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't buy that. That would have been dumb. <laughs> I'm over it, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Lacey, so, all right, so I got a great question for you. Can we speak to the millennials real quick, right? <laughs> Let's speak to the 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid that's about to head off to college, start his life, and loves to live on his cell phone, has a credit card, debit card, doesn't have any responsibilities. What do you say to someone who's 18 years old who has the world at their fingertips? How do they start their financial journey, Dr. Lacey? So I would say that the first thing they need to do is put themselves on a written budget every month, okay? So figure out how much money that you have to spend in a given month and allocate that money at the beginning of the month. So you decide at the beginning of the month, okay, I'm gonna spend this amount on you know, food, this amount on rent, this amount on entertainment, this amount on my books, this amount on travel, whatever. And you're not gonna deviate from that. And you know, in the first 90 days, as, you're, as you go through your first three months of budgeting, you get more and more accurate at it. So your first month, you may have several things that are your categories you underestimated or overestimated, and you get better at it. But put yourself on a written budget every single month and just decide that you're going to stick to it. That's the first thing. The second thing is do not get a credit card. Do not? If, do not get a credit card, okay? So it is absolute mythology that you are required to have a credit card to build your credit, okay? It is absolute mythology, okay? The FICO score, if you look at, if you look at the FICO score, it is 100% made up of factors that surround you having debt and paying interest on it. That is how the FICO score is calculated. And you can look this up. It's on, it's on, if you just look at, go to FICO, you know, just Google FICO score and you can see exactly what it is. Now, no one knows exactly how they do the algorithm, but you can see what their percentages are. This is widely public, but it's, you know, what new debt have you taken out? What's your level of debt? How much interest are you paying on the debt? It's all your, it's all your interaction with debt. And so the only way you can have an 800 you know, credit score is to take out a lot of money, like borrow a lot of money and pay interest on it for a long time. And that is not a recipe for financial success. 
And you know, here's the thing. People think, oh, well, you, you have to do stuff. You have to have credit card to do stuff. No, you don't. That's mythology too. I mean, everything that you want to do with a, de- with a credit card nowadays can be done with a debit card. 100% of the stuff. You can rent cars. You can, you can buy stuff online. You, know, you can take money out of the bank. The only thing that a debit card can't do is allow you to go into debt because once you hit zero in your bank account, you're done, right? So, so don't get a credit card. I can't tell you the number of people that I have seen that come out of their first semester of college with five, six, ten, twenty thousand $20,000 in debt. And it's from, so T, with what you were saying earlier, it's little daily decisions. It's, well, I'm going to go order this pizza. I'm going to go out to dinner with friends. I'm going to go on this road trip with my buddies. It's, I'm going to get tickets to this concert. Oh, you know what? Let's get the VIP package for the concert. You don't pay attention to these things and they add up a little bit at a time. You know, it's like when you see someone who weighs 400 pounds, you're like, man, how do they allow themselves to get to that? And the answer is a little bit at a time. It didn't happen overnight. It's corrosive. It's slowly corrosive. It's like cancer. It eats into you. So, so put yourself on a written budget. Don't get a credit card. If you do those two things, you are so far ahead of everybody else. Yeah, that's such a great point. So what then, just going back to the credit and credit score, how are you going to build your credit score if you don't have credit? I would encourage people to not worry about building their credit score, to be perfectly honest, okay? Because the credit score, what do you use the credit score for? You use the credit score so you can borrow money on stuff. Right. But, but we've, we've, if you've established that borrowing money is generally a dumb idea, then you don't need a credit score. I mean, so the one thing that you might need a credit score for is buying buy a, a house. house. Yeah. Right. Okay. So there's a couple of ways you could do it. One is that, you know, if you have, if you have credit cards and other stuff and you, and you are diligent about paying off the balance every month, mm-hmm. you can build credit that way. I will tell you though, that, that 18 and 19 year olds should not trust themselves with that yet. If they get, yeah. if they go, if they go for a couple of years paying for everything in cash and develop really good, good spending habits, habits yeah. and they want to go for it eventually fine, but not when you're not when you're a freshman or a sophomore in college, I think it's a really bad idea. The other mm-hmm. thing is if you never have a credit score, you can do something called manual underwriting and it's a little harder to do because not everybody does it anymore, but it's what people used to do before there were FICO scores is you just, you know, if you have a credit score that is essentially zero or it's uncalculable, mm-hmm. you find a mortgage company that'll say, that'll allow you to do manual underwriting and they'll just look and see, okay, this is, they'll look at your last couple of income statements. They'll look at, you know, you can send them a budget, you can send them what your current rent is and they can run some calculations and go, yeah, this is something you can afford or no, it's not. It's what everybody used to do before there were FICO scores. And so not everybody still does that, but there's enough places that do. And in my mind, the, the value that you get out of going massively into debt on car loans and student loans and mm-hmm. credit card loans and personal loans and payday loans and whatever other kinds of loans is absolutely not worth it because the fastest way to get out of debt, uh, to get, uh, you know, to build wealth Financial is to get out of debt. Yeah. yeah. is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. That is the fastest, most assured way to build wealth over time. You know, that's a great point. Like this whole credit thing is a largely an American practice because I came, you know, um, I lived in Australia for, for, and I'm still a citizen as well of the country. And I remember when I first came here, everyone was talking to me about my credit. I'm like, I don't have credit. Like, why is that not a good thing? And I could not get a car because I didn't have credit, a credit history. So, um, and I didn't have, you know, this was, I was in my early twenties. I didn't have a whole lot of money to like pay off a car. So I ended up like putting it down and then I ended up like just getting a loan and my interest rate was out of control because it was my very first loan in my entire life. 
you know, and I remember just telling my family members, I'm like, this is so backwards. Like, why is not having credit a bad thing? It should it's, be rewarded. It is, it is one of the most marketed products in American, in absolute all of human history. I mean, the, the credit card companies and the banks are the most marketing savvy people out there. I mean, yeah. you think about it. I mean, they're making money in, off of you. Right. I mean, just, just go through, just watch, watch a one hour sitcom or drama on primetime and just count the number of commercials there are for banks and credit cards and, you know, loans from car dealerships with financing available or furniture with financing available. It's half, yeah. it's yeah. ridiculous. And so I agree with you that, you know, like a credit score of zero should be something that we celebrate. And so whenever someone says, oh, I've got a credit score of 750, I'm like, man, that's really unfortunate. You probably paid a lot of money and interest to get that. <laughs> you know, you'd be way better off to just pay everything off, let your credit score go down to zero, freeze your credit. And then, yeah. you know, people are like, well, wh what am I going to do if I don't have credit? I'll say, you'll have money. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. A lot of your advice is, is counterculture though. I mean, you 100%. Know. And you know, here's the thing. 100%. I here's the thing. I I am proudly countercultural when it comes to this kind of stuff because here's what the, here's the thing. Like you just said, okay? Normal in America is credit cards, student loans, you know, car leases that you can't afford. It's that's normal. Normal is broke. Normal is I don't have Normal is you can't. Normal is broke. That's treatable. Right. Normal is you know you don't have more than ten thousand dollars saved for retirement. That's normal. Even at the age of fifty-five, that is average. Okay. Normal is I can't write a check to pay off a thousand-dollar emergency if I needed to replace a carburetor on my car or something like that. That's normal. Normal is wretched. I am not a fan of normal. And so if you <laughs> love if, it, so if you want normal, if you want normal, man, go get yourself a couple of car loans, get a big house that you can't afford Live beyond you your know, means, you know, and then find, find you a cookbook that shows you, you know, how to, how to make stuff out of, you know, baking soda and grass and, you know, good luck to you on that. That's fine. <laughs> you want to do that. But I tell you what, normal is normal's miserable. People come to me yes, because they are normal amen. and they hate it. Yes. Oh my God. That is amazing. You just gave me goosebumps there. Normal is wretched. Normal is wretched. I'm going to tweet that. <laughs> Dr. Lacey, so I have a um, uh, pretty much my last question. I want to ask you, Dr. Lacey, uh, outside of your mentorship, your guidance, your program, uh, what type of tools can our audience really tap into? Maybe it's an app, maybe some books you recommend, mm -hmm. what type of resources. tools and um, resources can our audience um, get mental family really tap into so they can start making a daily necessary changes that can change their life? Sure. So, I mean, there's, there's tons and tons of great books out there. Um, there's, there's tons of great uh, podcasts. If you just Google like money podcast or just go on Apple podcasts and search money, you can find all kinds of great stuff. Um, I've actually, I've actually got a, a resource that I'm happy to give your listeners. If you like, mm -hmm. I, uh, I created a reading list for just this purpose for, you know, it's got books on investing books on personal finance, um, you know, that, that I've collected over the years that I think have been highly impactful for me and meaningful in my own uh, life and certainly have been uh, valuable for people that I've coached. And so um, people are welcome to have that if they want, and they can download that at the scope of practice.com slash reading list. Love and it. um, it's a, it's free resource. And so feel free to, you know, use that. I tell you what, there's 35 books on the list that pertain to business and personal finance. You read those books. It's, you know, like getting an NBA, an yeah. MBA. 
Yeah. Um, so if you, I mean, so if you read those books, I mean, you'll be so far ahead of the game. So it's the scope of practice.com slash reading list, but also just Google, um, just Google, you know, uh, you know, uh, budgeting apps. There's lots and mm -hmm. lots of budgeting apps. I would strongly recommend just, you know, either doing free versions of stuff for a while or, um, just doing stuff on, on note on pen and notebook paper. You can get a long right. way. You can get Dr. a long Lace way with pen and notebook paper. It's the scope of practice.com slash reading list. Um, and there's 35 books on there that I think are really, really worth reading. Um, I've also got on the, if you go to the free download section at the bottom of my website, I've got a bunch of stuff down there that people are welcome to download for free. There's a, a budgeting guide. If people have never budgeted awesome. before, you have like worksheets, uh-huh, free worksheets for you. Love so it. just go to the scope of practice.com and scroll to the bottom and you'll find the free downloads. And there's, there's one for budgeting. There's one for, um, there's one for setting long-term financial goals. There's a great one that I just, that I just wrote that I think would be really valuable for your audience, especially with this topic of financial infidelity is called, uh, five financial conversations all couples should have. Oh, I love um, that. What's on there. So, well, if, you have to, you down, you have, well, so it's, it's, so you have to download to get them all, but, um, but, and again, it's free, but, um, things like where are you going to do private school versus public school for your kids? That's gotcha. a huge decision. That's, yes. that's, a, that's a six figure decision probably over the course of your life. Oh yeah. What, where are you going to buy a house? Uh, what do you want your retirement to look like? These are all really important conversations that yep. you need to have. And, you know, sometimes you just have to be deliberate about saying, okay, I'm going to have the conversation with my spouse now. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know what actually helps too with that is if you have a financial uh, consultant guiding you through those decisions, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you have the resources to do that. And if you don't, you can also start for, for many of our listeners who have a job, if see if you have what's called an employee assistance program, EAP, because EAP, you have legal and financial consultation benefit under that program. And the, the consult is free. Okay. And then if you choose to retain those services under the EAP program, you will get up to 20, usually up to 25% discount on the services. So, you know, you might already have this resource and you just didn't know about it. They can also give you advice on budgeting, debt consolidation and, and so forth. So. Yeah, just just make sure that if you use that, and I'm I'm fully support those kinds of things. Just make sure that you ask them the question: Who do they work for? Because if they work for the company, they're yes. probably looking out for your best interest. If they work for Wells Fargo or Bank of America or Capital One, and they're being hired by your company, they work for the bank, and their right. interests are going to be into getting you into their loan products. And so you got to be very wary of where the advice is coming <laughs> from. But a hundred percent, find someone yeah. that can help you. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, Dr. Lacey, any special advice for women, especially women who are, you know, women in the last, say, 20 years, we've become, thank God, a lot more financially knowledgeable and independent. Any patterns that you see or, or any advice and any advice for, for women as yeah, far as financial so health? Well, so I, I pretty much give the same advice to men and women. Um, but the, the advice that I tend to give for folks is that, you know, both partners in a marriage have equal say when it comes to stuff. Okay. So everybody gets a vote. Everybody's opinion matters. Everybody gets to participate and everybody should be required to participate. So, so there's two ways that people have made mistakes on this. One is to say, is to, for someone to tell their spouse, look, 
money's not really my thing. You just deal with everything and I trust you. That is a recipe for disaster because maybe they're not very good with money or maybe mm -hmm. they're, maybe they're not going to, maybe they're going to make some mistakes, you know? Mm -hmm. So you need mm -hmm. to have a say. Um, the second is to say, well, I'm just going to do everything. No, everybody needs to have an opinion and no, and make sure this, and I, I feel very strongly about this. I will tell you is that when you get married, you can combine everything, combine your finances. Everything's a joint checking account. Everything's joint. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you guys, but, um, you know, when my wife and I got married, our, our, you know, pastor said, and now you are one, not now you are a joint business venture. Right. Uh, right. So, <laughs> you know, so, so when, there's a lot of people who might not agree with that, but I am in the same family as you. That is, the thing, these are those, personal values though. But those people, those, those people who disagree, they're certainly entitled to their opinions, but mm -hmm. those are the families that end up coming to me for coaching is folks that, you know, they have had, they've had one person in the relationship that has managed the money for a long time and either they get into financial infidelity situations or they just kind of get in over their head or one spouse right, feels right. resentful. It is a problem. So when you, so I'll give you an example. So my wife doesn't, hasn't worked for several years now. Okay. I am the sole breadwinner of mm -hmm. our family at the moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that was a family choice. That was a personal choice on her part. No, no one bullied her into it. It was just what she wanted to do was stay home and take care of our kids. So for the last several years, a hundred percent of the money that has been brought into the family has been from me and I don't own anything. Okay. We own everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. There is no more I and me in a relationship yes. anymore. It has to be we. we. That's the only yeah. way it can work. Mm -hmm. So if everything's siloed and it's like, well, I'll use my money to pay the electric bill. You use your money to pay the water bill and then we'll split the rent. That's a recipe. First of all, it's logistically a nightmare. So it's just a pain in the neck. But secondly, it's just a recipe for financial disaster for, you know, familial disaster. I mean, right. you can't have good communication when everybody is kind of doing their own thing. Everybody has to be working for the good of the family or you're end up growing apart and not together. Absolutely. And you know, as a therapist, I have to be really careful when I tread those waters with couples and not impose my personal values. But I can honestly vouch for what Dr. Lacey is saying that the couples I see have the most success and really loving, satisfying relationships are the couples whose financial lives are, you know, mingled or commingled in that way. Um, and you know, th there is something to it. Cause when you think about it as a, if you're a team, right, if you're a basketball team and you want to win the championship, you can't be thinking about what's best for you and you only, you got to think about what's best for the team. You got to be able to right pass the ball when you need to, or make well, that shot. And here's the thing. We don't do that with any other aspects of our lives. We don't do it with parenting. It's not like, okay, you're going to raise this kid and I'll go raise this kid and we'll just kind of compare notes periodically. That's or, so you know, it's true. Like, you clean this half of the house, I'll clean this half of the house and we'll call it good. Or like, I'll put gas in, in the car and you change the tires periodically. We don't do that in any other part of our relationship. Yeah. So why would we do it with money? Well, there, yeah, well, that's another topic because I, I, my, my perspective on that is largely psychological and there's a lot, it's a lot of fear-based, you know, decision-making that comes into it. Um, but that, again, that's another subject. So thank you for, for that. My, my final question here, our final question, um, because we're wrapping up here, is what types of um, situations do you think, or factors, do you think protect couples from financial infidelity? I think the number one has got to be communication. I mean, open and honest communication about everything. 
So, I mean, my wife and I do not keep secrets from each other. I mean, and again, this is, you know, maybe personal values, but I tell you what, secrecy, secrecy just breeds problems. Okay. The, the root of all betrayal is some kind of a secret that Mm -hmm. that's just factual. Mm -hmm. Um, not saying that all secrets are bad, but all betrayal comes from hiding things. And so if you're open and honest about everything and you have good conversations and no subject is off limits and you agree that, you know, you'll, you'll talk openly and not shame each other and not guilt each other. And you, you know, when, when there's something and come up with, you know, so my wife and I used to come up with, you know, catchphrases or with stuff where we would have, we would have, we came up with these phrases that we could say, and then it would put our conversation into a frame of mind. We'd say, I feel unsettled. And that's me saying, I feel like something's a little off and I want to talk about it. And then immediately it takes all the tension out of the room. It's like, oh, okay, we've gotten off track somewhere. We want to talk about it. And there's no anger. There's no fear. There's no reprisal. It's just, uh, I feel a little bit unsettled right now. So it's, you know, it's, you know, if, or you say, Hey, listen, I kind of want to have an awkward conversation, you know, yeah. find some way to, to just agree that you're going to be able to have open and honest communication. And yeah. that is, that is the recipe for eliminating 90 plus percent of conflict and financial infidelity. Thank 100%. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, T, any final thoughts or questions? I can see you're uh, in deep thought over there. Yes, I, 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 know, I know that look when he's t- taking a, processing a lot. Yes, I got to do my homework today. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Yes, Dr. Lacey, I enjoy every second of this. Um, so much value today that I was able to take away and um, really instill in my life and, you know, impact our community with this. Yes. I'm going to be sending a lot of people to your website as well. And um, I'm excited about getting some of the value and just furthermore, learning how we can be better disciplined with our finances and really taking things to the next level. Um, so I, what I heard most about what you said today was budget, 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 budget. I got that down. So I'm ready to start that and ready to kind of shake the world up, creating that new budget and really getting everything in order. Mm-hmm. Great. And, you know, for all our listeners, um, I think you guys need to listen to this uh, uh, two or three times at least to really get the value. There's so many amazing nuggets that we covered here today. And, you know, I hope one of the big takeaways is I hope we emphasized enough the power of financial literacy and the financial education. We cannot stress that enough. That is really the single most important factor in not just creating wealth, but breaking the cycle of poverty and financial insecurity in our lives. So um, Dr. Brent, uh, Dr. Lacey, I'll give you the, the, the final uh, uh, chance to share any, any thoughts and comments. Well, I'll just, I'll just say that, you know, I always like to leave on a note of encouragement that mm-hmm. no matter where your situation is right now, however deep you've a, a hole you've dug into, I guarantee you that I've worked with people that are in deeper holes that have been, you know, having problems with money for longer or who have struggled with the same kinds of things they're struggling with. And it doesn't have to be the end of your life. It can be the beginning of a new chapter. So 
wherever you are right now, it's time to just start doing something different. So if you don't like the situation that you're in, or if there's something that, you know, has happened, it's, it's time to address it head on. And ultimately it's going to take an act of will on your part. It's going to take an act of um, just deciding that you want something different and I know you can do it. And I, 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 you know, if you keep listening to folks like Cecile and T and, you know, just learning more stuff and finding out, you know, all these new information, you know, you'll get there. Thank you so much. And you know, the, the good news is, cause we're always about the good news as well is that it's possible. These things are possible. There are a ton of resources and tools. It is really um, ultimately up to you, but there is no good reason to, to stay in this hole if, if you find yourself in it. So with that said, thank you so much, Dr. Lacey. We really appreciate you, having you here. Thank you for gracing our audience with your expertise. And like we always say, be well, be gentle, Get mental, because we all have have issues. issues. (laughs) (laughs) Bye for now, you guys. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens and T. Smith. To learn more about your hosts, become a sponsor or a guest on Get Mental, or if you have any questions about mental health, visit TranscendTherapyCA.com. That's TranscendTherapyCA.com. Join us next week at this same time for more talk on all things mental health on Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens and T. Smith on The Answer San Diego.